Praise the Lord. Well, good morning once again. It's a privilege to be up here to share a word with you. And um, I believe that God has a very exciting word to share with you today. And I'm just simply a vessel that God speaks through. So at this time, let's just get started. We've got a lot to cover with the little time that we have. Let me begin by saying that whether you realize it or not, all around us are invisible electronic waves. The air is thick with them. Now, you can't see them because they're invisible. But it's because of these electronic waves that we're able to talk to each other on the phone. It's because of these electronic ways that we're able to listen to the radio in our cars or watch a Patriots game on television. And as I said, these ways are invisible to the, to the naked eye. However, if you were to sit in front of your television and turn it on, the TV set will give you a visual of that which is invisible. In other words, what you can't see can be made visible to the vehicle of a television set. So that you're able to see in living color what is invisible become alive. God is invisible. The Bible says that no man has ever seen God at any time because he's spirit. And like the electronic waves, the air is thick with God's presence. He's everywhere. Amen. But the problem is, is that the human eye cannot see him. So he must then make himself visible. Now, the process by which the invisible reality of God can come across in living color is called glory. When we say that God is glorious, we're saying that God has made himself visible in such a way that he can now be seen. And this morning we're going to talk on the subject of the glory of God. We're going to look to the scriptures to find out what this glory of God means. And we're also going to learn what the Bible means when it says that we are to give glory to God. And you're going to find it's more than just coming to church on Sunday mornings, singing and praising. And if time permits, we're going to learn how to glorify God. Amen? So let's pray. Father God, we thank you this day. And Father God, we look to you, Lord God, to speak to us. We rely on the Holy Spirit, Lord God, to speak through our hearts and our minds, Father God, what you have to say to us. Father, we thank you, Lord God, for bringing understanding and revelation of your perfect will. And Father, we thank you, Lord, for filling this place with your presence. Lord, without you, we can't do it. And Father, I ask you, Father God, to speak through me, Father God. Father God, Put aside any feelings of inadequacies, any feelings of concern, Father God, and I just give myself over to you, that you may speak through me by your Spirit. And Father God, we thank you for taking over this service, that I put myself aside, Lord, so that you can take over and speak to every one of us here today. And Lord, for this we thank you and give you all the glory and praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Go with me to Isaiah chapter 6, and let's start there. We read the story where Isaiah had a vision, where in this vision he saw God. And it was an awesome thing to see. We begin in verse 1 where it says that in the year King Uzziah, that King Uzziah died, he says, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. And above it stood seraphim, which are angelic beings, and each one had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. Verse 3. And then one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. Talk about an awesome vision. That word glory in the Hebrew literally translated as heavy or weighty. 
Back in the day, there was a term that we would use. Some of you in my generation probably used it. That whenever you meet someone who is impressive, someone who is really awesome, we say, man, that brother is heavy, man. How many remember saying that, those, using those terms? Okay, yeah, we've got some of you here. Or if you see a concert that's really awesome, you say, man, that concert is heavy, man. When we talk about a weighty person, we're talking of someone who is honorable, someone who is worthy, someone who is impressive. And that describes God. The word also means reputation. Now, I know that some of you may have been given nicknames growing up. Some of you may still go by those nicknames, maybe from your family or from your friends. In the army, when I was serving in the army, everybody had a nickname. And the nickname is used to describe a person. We used to have this one guy in my platoon, and they would call him Boo-Boo. The reason why they call him Boo-Boo, because he was short and stocky, and he just reminded people of a baby bear. So his name was Boo-Boo. We had another brother who they call him Gum-Gum. And the reason why they call him Gum-Gum was because he had very few teeth in the bottom, and only had one single tooth at the top. So whenever he would smile, <laughs> all you see is that one tooth. And so they call him Gum-Gum. Some, of them, some people call him Snaggletooth, but not to his face. He was a big brother. And then we had another brother, they call him River Rat. And the reason why they call him River Rat was because one day we were out on field maneuvers building bridges. And he fell into the water in the river, and thus his name was called River Rat. And we had so many other names, forklift and so many. But a, name is, a nickname is given simply to describe who a person is or what a person is. If we were to give God a nickname, it would be glory. Because glory describes who God is. Glory is who he is. Go with me to Romans chapter 1. In beginning verse 20, Paul says this, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Allow me to read this to you in the New Living Translation. If you can put that up on the screen, it says it so much clearer. For ever since the world was created, it says, people have seen the earth and the sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and his divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Now what Paul is simply telling us here is that God has left his fingerprints all across this universe for us to see. He's saying that God has created uh, by his creation, you can see his nature in all of his physical, uh, his personal qualities all throughout, for, all throughout this universe, all throughout his creation. So when you go out and look throughout all of creation, when you look at the skies, when you look at the moon, when you look at the, the mountains, when you look at the stars, the flowers, the trees, the fruits, the animals, you see the glory of God. Paul is saying that when you look at creation, man must come to the conclusion that there is a God. It was certainly not a work that was done by man. And when we look at creation, whoever created it had to be in existence before it was made. And whoever created this world is obviously bigger than you and I. Amen. <clears throat> Psalm 19 and verse 1 says that the heavens declare the glory of God. In Psalm 111 in first part of verse 3 in the New Living Translation, it says, Everything that God made reveals his glory and his majesty. So wherever we look, whether we look up to the sky or when we look all around us, we see God. So whenever we see, the, whenever the character or the nature of all of God's attributes goes public for all the world to see and to know. The Bible refers to this as God's glory. So if you were to define glory, it would be this. Glory is the visible manifestation of God's attributes. That is his character, his nature, his power, his presence, his personal qualities. 
Let me give some examples in the Bible. Whenever there was a visible manifestation of God in the Old Testament, the Bible states that it is the glory of God that appeared. In Exodus chapter 40, if you go there, beginning in verse 34, when God had instructed the children of Israel how to build the tabernacle and how to worship the tabernacle, after they completed the tabernacle, something amazing happened. In verse 34, in Exodus chapter 40, says this, Then the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Verse 35, And Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of meeting because the cloud rested above it, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple or the tabernacle. So we see that this cloud was a visible manifestation of God's presence. And the Bible says that the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Excuse me. The, the temple was so filled with God's glory, it was so thick with cloud, which is the Shekinah glory, that Moses couldn't even enter into the temple because of the presence of God. Let me give you another example. Go to Second Chronicles chapter 7. Here we read the story in verse 1 where Solomon had just completed the temple which was much bigger and much more beautiful and much more elaborate than the tabernacle in the wilderness. This temple he, he built and after he built it he offered a prayer of, of dedication and after the prayer of dedication something amazing happens. In verse 1 it says that when Solomon had finished praying fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Verse 2, And the priest could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. And when all of the children of Israel saw the fire come down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshipped and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his mercy endures forever. So we see another visible manifestation of God's presence. Fire and a cloud. In Exodus chapter 24 and verse 17, it says that the sight of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire. So these are some of the manifestations or visible manifestations of his presence and of his power. So according to the Bible, the glory of God is the invisible qualities of God made visible. In Psalm 97 and verse 6, it says that his righteous, that the heavens declare his righteousness and all the people see his glory. Which means that you can actually see the glory of God. That to me is an exciting thing. Go to Exodus chapter 16 while you're still there. Because God's glory now can be made visible for the human eye to actually see. In Exodus chapter 16, we read the story where the children of Israel had just been wandering in the wilderness for about a month and a half after they were delivered from Egypt. And already they were complaining because there was no food. And they were complaining to Moses and to Aaron because they were starving. They were saying, you know, we were better off staying in Egypt because at least we had three square meals a day. But God heard their complaints and instructed Moses and Aaron what to say to them. This is in Exodus chapter 16. And in verse, beginning of verse 6, says, Then Moses and Aaron said to all the children of Israel, At evening you shall know that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt. And verse 7, And in the morning, watch this, you shall see the glory of the Lord. For he hears your complaints against the Lord. But, we are, but what we are, but what are we that you complain against us? So the children of so the children of Israel is now about to see this manifestation, this visible manifestation of God in the wilderness. Now look down in verse eleven, and it says, "And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, I have heard the complaints of the children of Israel. Speak to them, saying that at twilight or at evening you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God." So what God did was, in the evening, he provided him with meat for dinner by ushering in thousands of quails their way. And in the morning, God provided them with breakfast, which was manna from heaven. They saw a visible manifestation of God's presence in their time of need. 
How many of you have ever been in a situation where you needed something from God? Whether it's a new car, a job, a better job, maybe some better finances, or a home or an apartment, whatever. How many of you have ever asked God for those things and God has provided that for you? And you know that it was God that did it and no one else. Well, you know what you just did? What you just witnessed? You witnessed a visible manifestation of God's power and presence in your time of need. And we're not always aware of this, but we can actually see God's glory working and moving in our lives. Because God wants to display His glory. They saw the glory of the Lord. Let me give you another example. Go to John chapter 11 where we read the story of Jesus when he got word that his friend Lazarus was dead and was sick. And he came four days later, but by the time he got there, he was already dead. And he tells Martha, Martha, I want you to roll the stone from the tomb that Lazarus was laying. And of course, Martha looks at him and says, Lord, don't you know that my brother's been dead for four days? His body is decomposing. And so an unpleasant smell is going to come out of that tomb if you remove that stone. But I love what Jesus said to her. She says this. Did I not say to you that you would, if you would believe, that you would what? See the glory of God. And what did she see? What did Jesus mean when he says you will see the glory of God? He said this. He was talking about the power and the presence of God manifested for everyone there to see. And when you see a dead body coming out of the tomb, you know that was, that had, no one had anything to do with that, but it was God. It was obvious that the presence of God was manifesting for everyone to see. That's the glory of God. Hallelujah. Go to John chapter 1. When God wanted to manifest his attributes, his awesomeness, his glory for man to mankind in a way that they can understand, God became a man in the person of Jesus Christ. In John 1, 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now look down in verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So the glory of God is the invisible made visible in the person of Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, when God manifested himself, he would manifest himself through smoke, through fire, and some great exploits. However, in the New Testament, God manifested himself in the person of Jesus Christ. <laughs> Go to Colossians chapter 1. Because Jesus was the, was the word that John talked about, who was in the beginning with God, and was God, and who became flesh, and made the invisible God visible in his person. In Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15 says this, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. So when Jesus was conceived, God became a man. He was not part man, he was not part God. He was completely human, he was also completely divine. And before Christ came, people could only know God partially. But when Jesus Christ came, come on now, people can now know God fully because God became visible and tangible in the person of Jesus Christ. In John 14, Philip, one of his disciples, says, Lord, show us the Father. And Jesus says to him, he who has seen me has seen the Father. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. See, Jesus Christ is the revelation of the glory of God in human form. Everything that Jesus was, God was. The, the character, the nature, the personal qualities, when they saw Jesus, they saw God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4 in the Amplified Version says this, For the God of this world has blinded the unbelievers' minds that they should not discern the truth. Preventing them from seeing the illuminating light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, the Messiah, who is the image and likeness of God. 
Hebrews 1, 3 says that God, that Jesus is the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. So according to the Bible, Jesus is the glory of God. Or you can say that Jesus is God on display. Something unique also about his glory, that his glory is intrinsic. By that I mean, the word intrinsic means belonging naturally. Something that is inbreded, something that is, that is deeply rooted or ingrained in a person. Something that comes natural. How many of you know Michael Jordan? Okay, most of us know Michael Jordan. He was a glorious basketball player during his days of professional basketball player. He could do some awesome stuff with that basketball. I mean, he was amazing. But Michael Jordan didn't start out as glorious. You see, because it took long years of coaching, of teaching, of practicing the craft. Long hours in the gym practicing to become the glorious player that he became. God doesn't have to go to a university and learn how to be glorious. God doesn't have to practice long hours to be glorious. God doesn't have to be coached into being glorious. Matter of fact, God doesn't have to be, improve himself to be good at being glorious. God is glorious all by himself. Because glory comes natural to God. It is who he is. Another thing about God's glory is that it's eternal. You know, players like Larry Bird and Michael Jordan and LeBron James and Mickey Mantle and Willie Mays and Bobby Orr and all these great athletes, glorious players in their craft, in their respective sports. But as they reach the end of their careers, their glory begins to fade. You see, that's what age does to many of us. Our glory will eventually fade. Because man's glory never lasts. And so you have guys like Michael Jordan and all these wonderful athletes, but they were glorious during their time, during their prime, but as age and injury got to them, their glory began to fade. They could no longer do the things that they once did that made them so glorious, which is the reason why they retired. <laughs> but man's glory never lasts. It always fades. God's glory, however, is eternal. It never fades. Just as God is eternal, His glory is eternal. See, what wet is to water, what blue is to sky, what heat is to fire, glory is to God. Amen. It's who He is, and He's eternal. Psalm 104, verse 31 says, May the glory of the Lord endure forever hallelujah now saint augustine who's one of the early church fathers during the fifth century made this statement to the church he says this the highest good of man is to glorify god that means that all believers are called to bring god glory but the question is what does that mean to bring glory to god what does it mean to glorify him let me give you an illustration Many of you, I'm sure you love shopping. Most of you love shopping. We've all gone shopping, some more than others. <laughs> and as you probably notice when you go into these stores like uh, JCPenney's or uh, Macy's or a gentleman's warehouse or something, all through the store there are mannequins. Okay? Even out in front of the store, behind glass windows, as people walk by, there are mannequins. Now, another word for mannequins are dummies. <laughs> and the job of a dummy is to magnify the latest fashions of the store. So the people in the store put these clothes on the dummy, and the dummy is to act as an attraction for the people to come into the store. And people, the customers, look at the clothing on the dummy and be drawn in. Now, the clothes on the dummy doesn't come from the dummy. The clothes on the dummy comes from the owner of the store. And the owner of the store puts the clothes on the dummy so that folks on the outside can come on inside 
based on how the dummy looks. I don't know what I just said, but it sounded pretty good. But you're all still with me though, right? Now, having said all that, on our best day, we're all nothing but dummies. However, what God wants to do is to dress us up. You see, he's given us a new nature. He's given us a, a, a new life. He's given us his righteousness. He's given us his holiness. See, what God wants to do is dress us up so that you and I can attract people to himself. Not just when times are going good, but when times are going bad. Go to Isaiah chapter 43. You see, your job and my job as believers is to make God look good. Did you hear me? Our job is to make God look good. See, God is after making sure that he becomes the attraction and not you and I. That he looks good, not you and I. You know, one of my greatest pet peeves is when Christians testify and say, I thank God that I did this and that I did that. All of a sudden it becomes more about themselves than about what God did. They're making themselves look good rather than making God look good. God is not about that. Look what he says in Isaiah 43 and verse 7. In the New Living Translation, he says this. Bring all who claim as their God, as I, for I have made them for my glory. It was I who created them. You see, we exist for God. God doesn't exist for us. The whole purpose of our existence is to make God look good in our lives. To bring him glory. To bring him the attention and the recognition that he deserves. While you're still in Isaiah chapter 43, go back one chapter, Isaiah 42 and in verse 8. Just to show you how serious God is about receiving the glory. He says this, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another. Know my praise to carved images. You know, when people read that, people think that God is on some eagle trip. But that's not what God is all about. See, God wants to let the world know that he is God. He wants to know, let the world know that he exists and that he's real and that God loves us. So it's not about God wanting the attention just for himself. It's not that God is insecure. He just wants us to know that he is God. God created us to glorify him in all that we do in life. And no other is to receive the glory that belongs to him. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And beginning in verse 6. In the same way, as I mentioned to you earlier, that a television set will give you a visual of that which is invisible. And that... What you can't see can now be made visible through the vehicle of a television set. God is able to make himself visible by using us as his vehicle for his glory. In Isaiah 49 in verse 3, he says, he said to me, you are my servant Israel and you will bring me glory. Who did he say will bring glory to him? Us, we. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 6 says this in the New Living Translation. For God who said, let there be light in the darkness, has made this light to shine in our hearts so we can know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. Verse 7, we now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure that makes it clear that our great power is from God and not from ourselves. This great treasure, picture um, these precious diamonds stored into an old, worn out, and and rusted coffee can. You and I are that worn out, rusted coffee can. But in us, there's a precious treasure. Hallelujah. This light, this glory, this power that is contained in this weak vessel. And the Bible says that. So that it can be clear to everyone to see 
that the power that is working in us, that light that is in us, that glory that is in us, is not from us, but from God. In other words, so that people can see the God in you. That's the light. That's the glory that is in us. That is the wonderful treasure that, that, is, that is stored inside of here. You see, when, the, when, when we became born again, the Spirit of God, well, I'm getting ahead of myself here, so let me just stop right now. Let me slow down. The Bible says in, in 2 Corinthians 5.17 that if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. All things have passed away and all things have become new. Before I got saved, and maybe some of you may have heard this story before, but it bears repeating again. But before I had gotten saved, um, I had these two friends of mine. They were good friends, my best friends, Louis and Gilly. We did everything together. We went to school together. We, 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 we played cars together. We partied together. We got high together. I'm just being real with you. We did everything that we weren't, we weren't supposed to do together. And I remember one day, we were sitting at my friend Louis's living room. And we were playing cards and getting stoned. And all of a sudden, my friend Gilly decides to strike up a conversation about God. Now, if you can imagine three guys stoned out of their minds and having a conversation about God, I mean, it, it, it's ugly. So as he began to talk about God, one of my other friends, Louis, who didn't want anything to do with the conversation about God. He stopped the conversation by saying this. He pointed at the bag of marijuana that we were all smoking that night, and he says, this is my God. Now, fast forward a year. During that time, we sort of drifted away. You know, life got busy, jobs and everything else that we just lost touch with each other. A year later, I happened to be in a gas station, and I ran into them. They drove by and said Hello. And they began to talk to me about how they gave their lives to the Lord and how they're going to church and all these wonderful things. And I got to tell you, when I was talking to them, I didn't recognize them. These weren't the same guys that I knew a year ago. There was something different about them. I didn't recognize them. They looked the same. They sounded the same. But there's something different about them. I did not recognize them. You see, what I didn't understand was I was actually witnessing the glory of God. I was seeing a visible manifestation of God in the lives of my two friends. And you see, that wasn't by coincidence that I happened to run into them after not seeing them for a year. See, I believe that it was a divine intentional encounter that God had created using my friends as to display his glory. See, when I saw my friends, they weren't the same people I knew. They were people who were dressed in the glory of God. Yeah. Hallelujah. Look at what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4. See, when I saw my friends, and, and here's the thing. When you see the glory of God in a person's life, it becomes attractive. You know, when you look at a mannequin, you see some, a, 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 a piece of outfit on them. And you say, man, that looks good. That looks good on me. I, I need to get that outfit. When I saw them and they were dressed in their glory, even though I didn't understand it, I wanted that. Because I remember walking away and the first thought in my mind says, is I said this, if God, you can do that for them, you can do it for me. That opened up a whole door for me because soon after that, I gave my life to the Lord. And the three guys that once was getting stoned in my friend's living room, getting high on marijuana, were now getting high on Jesus. Praise the Lord. Only God can do something like that. In Ephesians 4, verse 24, it says this. And that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Now remember what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. That if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature or a new creation. This new man and this woman that you and I have become are created to resemble God. In true righteousness and in true holiness. Ephesians 4.24 in the New Living Translation says it like this. Put on your new nature, created to be like God. You see, we were created in Christ to be like Him. So our lives should be a life that is lived with God constantly being put on display in everything that we do in life. So when then people see us, they don't see us, they see God. See, we're to make the invisible God visible in everything that we do in life. 
That's how we glorify God. That's how we bring him recognition. That's how we bring attention to him. Because now when people see you, they know it's not about you. But it's about the God that is in you. That's what attracted me to my friends. I saw God in them. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We're all called to make God look good in whatever we do in life. 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 31 says this. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, say that with me, whatever I do, do all to the glory of God. That phrase, whatever you do, simply means in all that we do in life, whatever our plans are, whatever our course of life is, whatever arrangements we make, whatever our desires are, make sure that it's for the glory of God. That everything we do and everything that we say bring recognition and honor to him. One question I want to ask you is this. What impression do people have of Christ when they talk to you or see you? I'll let that sink in. You don't have to answer that question. But you need to ask yourself, are my actions, are my words glorifying him? Is it honoring him? Is it bringing him recognition? Is it making him attractive? Go to 1 Peter chapter 4. Say, we are to publicly praise God with our life. Publicly bring him recognition. Publicly honor him in everything that we do in life. 1 Peter 4.11 says this, If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. That is, speaking as though God himself was speaking through you. And also, if anyone ministers or serve, let him do it as with the ability which God provides. Now notice it doesn't say to speak with the oracles of man. And it doesn't say to serve with the ability that man provides. Because if that were the case, then man would be the one to get the recognition and the honor. No, but it says, speak with the oracles of God and serve with the ability that only God provides. And this is why. The last part of that verse says this, that in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Who does the glory belong to? Who does the glory belong to? God. Forever and ever. And that's something we need to remind ourselves all the time. So whenever we get this temptation to want to be glorified, we need to stop and say, well, wait a minute. The one that truly deserves glory is the one who created me. So we understand what the glory of God is. We understand what it means to glorify God. But how do we do that? How do we glorify God in everything that we do besides coming to church on Sunday morning and singing praises to the Lord? Well, one of the ways that we can glorify him is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. If you'll go there in verse 19 and 20. We can glorify God by dedicating our lives to serve him. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19, a very familiar uh, passage of scripture, it says this. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? Verse 20. For you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God. Where? In our bodies and in our spirit. Isn't it interesting that the Bible says that our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit. When you and I became born again, the Spirit of God came, came inside and lived inside of us. He took residence in our bodies. He joined himself with our spirit, becoming one with our spirit. But because our bodies belong to him, he becomes a landlord. Now, some of you may live in apartments or building complexes, which means that you don't own it. But if you want to live there, you want to make sure you want to abide by the rules that the landlord set. You can't smoke in the apartment. You can't, of course, none of you smoke. I, think, I don't believe. But um, you, you, you can't have pets. 
You know, you can't play music at a certain time or the rent is due at a certain... All of these rules that landlords have a right to, uh, to, to enforce. Well, the Spirit of God lives inside of us. This body belongs to Him. So we wouldn't want to violate His standard of living while He's living inside of us. Okay. Amen? Amen? I mean, if we violate the rule in an apartment, they can kick us out. The wonderful thing is God can't kick us out. <laughs> but you don't want to violate whatever standard that God provides for living. So because he lives in us, we need to respect that. And how do we do that? By consecrating our lives, our body and our spirit to serving him. Go with me to Philippians chapter 1. You see, Paul had this attitude. He was a perfect example. Jesus is the perfect example, but he was another example. And he had the right attitude when it comes to serving God with your body and with your spirit. In Philippians 1 and verse 20, in the Amplified Version, Paul says this. This is keeping with my own eager desire and persistent expectation and hope. That I shall not disgrace myself, nor be put to shame in anything... But with the utmost freedom of speech and unfailing courage, now as always heretofore, watch this, Christ the Messiah will be magnified and get glory and praise in this body of mine and be boldly exalted in my person. Wow. That's the attitude that we all need to have. To allow God to be magnified in this body of ours. To be exalted boldly in this person, in our person. Paul had completely committed his life to serving God. Every day, and I'm not not talking about serving God when you feel like serving God. I'm talking about serving God every day of your life. From the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed. You're always aware of God. You're God conscious throughout the day because you want to make sure that whatever you do is going to bring honor and glory and recognition to the God that is in you and not to you. Amen. So Paul understood that there's only one place that God, that Christ could be magnified and seen and that was in his body. The only place that men can see Jesus alive and living is in us. In our bodies. You see, our bodies are designed to magnify the Lord. That's why he said that we are to magnify him, we are to glorify him. And he designed our bodies and our spirit to do just that. Another way that we can glorify him is through praise. Go to Psalm chapter 50 and verse 23. To praise God is to simply boast in him. To, to honor him, to let the world know who he is and what he's done. Make him important. Make him recognized. Psalm 15 verse 23 says this, He who brings an offering of praise and thanksgiving honors and glorifies me. And he who orders his way aright, who prepares the way that I may show him, to him I will demonstrate the salvation of God. God enjoys people who recognize his ways. And the only way to do this is by us making that known. You know, it's interesting. There's a story in the Bible. Uh, and if you remember in, in Luke chapter 17 where Jesus goes into a village. And he runs in, into these ten men who were lepers. And the lepers cried out to Jesus, have mercy on us. And Jesus says to them, go and see the priest. And so all 10 lepers went to go see the priest. As they were going there or heading towards there, they were cleansed from their leprosy. All 10 of them. However, one stopped and noticed that he was cleansed. And he was the only one that went and turned back, went to Jesus, and he fell at Jesus' feet. And he says, Glory to God with a loud voice. And the question is, well, what happened to the other nine? Well, I'll tell you what happened to the other nine. The other nine does what so many Christians do. They get so caught up with the blessings of God that they don't take the time to stop and give him the credit that he deserves. 
that he that that uh, that he don't we don't take the time to give him the credit and the recognition for what God has done. And and you know what we have to be careful that we don't do that. Get caught up in the blessings and stop to consider the the source of the blessings. To cry out, fall at his feet and say glory to God. Only one man, one leper came back to glorify him. Well, all the other nine just got all caught up in their blessings. They were having a blessing party. Our praise makes God important in our lives. And, and, you know, um, I don't know if any of you do this, but when somebody who's not a believer comes to you and they they talk about, hey, you know, this... uh, I got this promotion in my job, blah, 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 blah. and you as a Christian automatically say, praise God. Uh, how many of you have ever done that? You just, you know, because it's so common to us because when something good happens, we give him the credit for it. Right? We give him the credit because that's where the credit belongs to. In Psalm 44 and verse 8 says, Oh God, we give glory to you all day long and constantly praise your name. Another way that we can glorify God is by our good works. Go to Matthew chapter 5. And in verse 16. It says, let your light so shine before men. That they may see your good works. And glorify your father in heaven. Who did Jesus say will glorify the father in heaven? Those that see your good works. Now, when I say good works, I'm not just talking about works in the church, ministry works. So that's included. But I'm talking about works outside the church as well. Like acts of kindness. Acts of compassion. Acts of generosity. Giving pers- people time for your prayers or, or, or for your, your presence. You know, people call upon you because they need to talk to you. And, and you know, you, you kind of, you know, it's like, I don't really, I don't have time to do this. And... All weekend, I was challenged because I was getting all these interruptions, divine interruptions, while trying to prepare for Sunday, for this, for this morning. But I realized that this was God's, this is my opportunity to do what God wants me to do. You know, this divine interruption that you may have in life, that's God. Okay, that's God. And so... I was able to do that, and God still was able to help me and work with me as I prepare this message. Oh, man. I'm trying very hard not to get ahead of myself. John 17, verse 4, Jesus, when he was praying to the Father, he said this. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work. That you've given me to do. So when we glorify God. We don't glorify him just with our works. But also by completing our works. Many of us. God has given an assignment to do. And God is still waiting for you to complete it. There are some of you that God says I need you to forgive. And God is still waiting for you to forgive. There are those that God is saying, I need you to pray for somebody, and God is still waiting for you to pray. There are some of you that God is saying, I need you to go visit someone. And it's always in the most inconvenient time. And you decide, well, I'll visit him tomorrow. Even if you visit him tomorrow, you've not completed his work. Because he told you to do it today, not the next day. For some of you, God is saying, I need you to give to someone. And God is still waiting for you to give. If you're not completed the work or the assignment that God has given you, how can God be glorified? How can people honor God and glorify him by your acts of kindness, by your good works? They can't. Because he's still waiting for you to complete the job. Another way that we can glorify God is through our good fruits. Go to John chapter 15 and verse 8. Jesus says, Herein is my Father glorified 
that you bear much fruit, so you shall be my disciples. What does that mean to bear fruit? Jesus says in John 15 verse 5, he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. He says, if you abide in me, that means remain with him and stay connected with him. And I in you, he says, then you shall bear fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Let me give you an example. A vine can produce grapes. And the grapes or the fruit that is born is born of a similar nature and quality of the vine that it comes from. Did you understand that? So bearing fruit means something uh, is producing something that is similar to what the attributes of the tree or the vine that the fruit comes from. Okay? We are born again believers. And therefore we are born again, the Bible says. We are born again, born of God. So now we become God's offspring, God's children. And so as we grow in grace and grow in the spirit... We are to develop or produce in our lives the similar quality and nature of the Father that belongs to, who belongs to us. When you're bearing fruit, or godly fruit, people will automatically see that you belong to God. You know, it's like a child, you know. A child has certain mannerisms or, or, or appearance that look like the parent. You already know, oh, that child is so-and-so's child. Because of the way he acts or, or the way he looks or whatever. When people see us, we should bear the similar qualities and nature of our father. So when people look at us, it's, oh, I, that belongs to God. That, that, that woman, she, she belongs to God. Because why? Because we're bearing fruits. Look at Philippians chapter 1. In verse 11, a New Living Translation says this, May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation. That is, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. For this will bring much glory and praise to God. Amen. Have you ever met someone who didn't know who was a Christian and you've been around them for years and then all of a sudden you find out, wow, you're a Christian? <laughs> all these years and you're a Christian? Where are the fruits? Of course, you won't ask them that, but. <laughs> what fruits are people seeing in you, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your home? Let me close with this. The last thing. Go to Exodus chapter 34. Another way that we can glorify God is spending time alone with Him. In Exodus chapter 34 and verse 29, we read, Now it was so when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hands, which are the Ten Commandments, he came down from the mountain, that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone while he talked with God. Verse 30, so when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. Then Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Verse 32. Afterward, all of the children of Israel came near, and he gave them his commandments, all that the Lord had spoken with him on Mount Sinai. Let's skip down in verse uh, 34. But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take the veil off until he came out. And he would come out and speak to the children of Israel whatever he had been commanded. And finally, verse 35. And whenever the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone, then Moses would put on the veil on his face again until he went to speak with God. When Moses came down from the mountain after being alone with God, his face shone. His face was radiant with the glory of God. And when the people saw it, they knew he had been with God. Because he was in the presence of God. How often do we spend time with God alone? Now, 
even though our face may not light up a room, but time spent alone with God in prayer, reading his word, meditating upon his word, should have such an effect on our lives that people will know that you and I have been with God. I'm not talking about a devotional time. I'm talking about really spending good quality time with God. Long enough to have, for God to have an effect on you. So when you walk out of your closet, walk out of your room or, where, or your study, wherever you choose to study and, and spend time with God alone, people will know that you've been with God. When did, God, when did Moses' face shown? When he was with God. And how did people know that he was with God? Because his face shined with the glory of God. It was evident that he had spent time with God. But being alone with God has a transforming effect in our lives. I remember when I first got saved and I got to know the things of God, I was hungry. And I just devoured the Bible. I read all throughout the Bible, from Genesis all the way to Revelations. I even read the, the Apocryphas, uh, the, when they find in the Catholic Bibles. I read all of that. But I was, I was hungry, and I was learning so much of God. And what I, I didn't realize that I was also growing and developing, and, and my spirit man was becoming strong. And, I, and the desire to serve God, I mean, it was just, it was amazing. And, and it's interesting that sometimes you don't notice a change, but someone else will. And say, you know, you've changed. You're not the same. You know, and, and I'm sure you all have gone through that when you gave your life to the Lord. And those around you, in your circle, your friends, your, your co-workers, your family members, they saw it and said, they, obviously there's a change in you. They don't even recognize you because you're different. You don't talk like you used to. You don't act like you used to. And for some, some, some of your family members or friends, for them that was a wonderful thing. And then there are others that maybe have rejected you. Or maybe persecuted you. Or you may ridicule you. But this much they know. Something different is happening in your life. Something different has changed. Why? Because you spend time with God. You, you belong to God. You're a part of God. You're a child of God. But spending time alone with God will allow us to see God as He is through the revelation of His Spirit so that we can become like what he is. And that only happens when you spend time meditating upon his word. Reading his word. And praying. And I have to say that I don't think we do enough of that. Because if you still look the same. You might want to spend a little more time in your closet. God made us to be glorious. And so everything we do should shine with the glory of God. Matthew 5, 16 says, let your light so shine before men. Moses also shined when he was with God. But eventually that glory began to fade. Like a flashlight getting low on batteries. In order for Moses to shine, he needed repeated exposure in God's presence. The same is true for us. If we're not meeting God regularly, consistently, his glory in us will eventually grow dim and fade. Now, if the light didn't come from us, then we wouldn't need to meet with God. But the light that is in us comes from God. And therefore, we need to spend time with God so that we can be spiritually recharged and be lit up. When we stand under the light, we'll stay lit. Amen. We'll stay lit. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you in your precious son's name. We thank you, Father God, for your glory. We thank you, Father God, for your presence in our lives. And Father, we ask that we want more of your glory. We want to experience more of your glory. We want to witness more of your glory in our lives. And Lord, we want others to witness glory in us. Father, we thank you for your glory that is filling this room. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your power. We thank you for all that you've done and continue to do in our lives. And Father, we just thank you and bless you today. 
Thank you for your glory. Thank you, Father God. Lord, I wish we had more words to, to express how we feel. But Lord, all I can say is thank you. And Lord, we honor you today. And Lord, may we honor you always when we leave this building and go into our homes, into our workplace, into our neighborhoods and show forth the glory that is in us so that people will know that you're God. And so Father, we thank you. And we give you all the praise and glory. In your precious son's name we pray. Amen. If you've never...